ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय Material world. 
So uh, Krishna has given this knowledge to Arjuna. Attaining, yeah, okay. attaining knowledge is the difference between a human being and an animal. Especially attaining spiritual knowledge is that which distinguishes human beings from animals. Ahara Bhaya. Got it that time? Okay. Ahara Bhaya, Ahara Bhaya, Ahara Nidra Bhaya Samanya Me Tat Human beings and animals both have uh, very well developed propensities for eating, sleeping, mating and defending. So uh, increasing the stock of or the storehouse of human knowledge to increase our abilities to in more and more sophisticated ways eat, sleep, mate and defend is not really symptomatic of advanced culture. But Atato Brahma Jignasa, when one inquires into that which is beyond eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, into the spiritual nature, that is the beginning of real human life. So to inquire into spiritual knowledge, that is the distinguishing that is the distinguishing factor which brings one actually to the human platform. And Krishna is the best person to give spiritual knowledge. Okay, let's have a little quiz here. Why is Krishna the best person to give spiritual knowledge? Would anyone like to suggest any reason? Maybe someone might think that the, the professor of comparative religions is better because Krishna just, Krishna just speaks some uh, dogmatic Hinduism. But the professor of comparative religions can give you the whole panorama of religious outlook. Okay, we any uh, any thoughts? Why why would we consider Krishna the best authority, or the, the best person to give spiritual knowledge? Yes, please. Because he's the source of everything. Because he's the source of everything. Please translate it. Well, that suggests he's also the source of spiritual knowledge. So yeah, that's a good reason. Then yeah, anyone else? Because he's beyond the duality of material. Okay, translate that. Anything else? And I was thinking it's a little difficult when you're in a greenhouse on a hot day. Anyway, uh, it'll be a lot hotter at the time of death, the internal heat, so it's good practice. Everything we do is practicing, so... For that time. So, some yogis, they sit in the five fires. They surround themselves with four fires and sit in the hot sun. So we're not recommending you do that. If anyone has any more suggestions why Krishna is the best person to hear spiritual knowledge from. I got one hand on the far left and one hand on the far right. So let's go to the extreme right wing first. Because uh, Krishna is the closest person to us. He's closer. Krishna is the closest person to us. Then? You sure? No, you can translate. Yeah. Krishna knows the past, the present, and future. All right. you translate that also. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. One more suggestion. Yes, sir. Because he has six opulences. Krishna has six opulences in full. Okay. Uh, everyone, please turn off their cell phones because Srila Prabhupada said. Okay. Well, I would say that Krishna is the best uh, person to receive spiritual knowledge from, or to describe spiritual knowledge, because he himself is the object of all spiritual knowledge. And he is spiritual knowledge. So Krishna is has described this knowledge to Arjuna. Now Arjuna 
is supposed to be able to make an intelligent decision. A person in knowledge is expected to act on a uh, responsible platform. He's supposed to be capable and uh, trustworthy. So it's just like you see, if, if there's some accident and someone gets injured and uh, just some passes by and you say, someone says, well, what shall we do? And they say, well, do whatever you like, you know, kick, him in the, kick the victim in the head or you know, do whatever you like. Yeah, we're just postulating here that there's some accident, someone is lying in a pool of blood, groaning, and uh, someone's, someone's there bewildered and asks a passerby, one passerby, what, what do you think, I, what should we do? And he said, well, just do whatever you like. Well, I mean, that, that's within the range of possibilities, if you say, just say, do whatever you like. Um, so that's not a very, uh, it's not a very good reply. I mean, you should, there should be something specific that you should be able to do to help someone who's in difficulty. But if there happens to be a doctor there, uh, then everyone, should, everyone else who's not qualified should leave the doctor to do as he likes because he knows what to do. If the doctor says, go, uh, go get me some ice, I have to apply it to this. You don't ask him, well, what do you want the ice for? I don't think you should have ice. I think you should bring. Why don't you put uh, someone working with a with a gas burner? Why don't you put that on the wound instead of ice? You don't question him because you understand, you trust that he has knowledge and he knows what is the best thing to do. So by asking this question, Krishna is not um, telling Arjuna to become a hippie. If you know what a hippie is, it means uh, or a uh, uh, just. Uh, a free thinker, or just do it, just, you know, whatever, you, anything, anything's okay. He's not saying that. By saying this, Krishna is telling Arjuna that I have given you this knowledge, and now it's up to you to apply that intelligence. Krishna is not speaking some theoretical philosophy. It's meant for practical application. The, the philosophy spoken by Krishna can be practically applied by any intelligent and enlightened human being in any circumstance. So, but when Krishna tells Arjuna, you do as you like, that means that Krishna expects Arjuna to have uh, understood this philosophy and to be able to apply it practically. That just as Arjuna had trust in Krishna, that you are the right person to instruct me, Krishna trusted Arjuna to be a sincere disciple. That uh, Arjuna, he wasn't asking Krishna uh, whimsically. That Arjuna was very serious to understand the, uh, his existential position and how to act in a way for the benefit not only of himself but for everybody else concerned. So this knowledge of Bhagavad Gita is the basis on which uh, every every uh, enlightened human being should live his life. The uh, decision that Arjuna had to make would uh, seriously affect his own life and that of everybody else on the battlefield and many other, actually the whole world. So we're not as significant people as Arjuna, but everything we do affects not only ourselves, but others who we are in contact with. So uh, we have to act in a way that will be beneficial for ourselves and for others. Therefore, it is uh, required that we act in knowledge. I remember many years ago, it was about 19, before I joined the movement, I 
They brought out one back to God and I saw one and joined. On the back cover, there was a picture of a, a young man. There was a face-to-face photo facing a baby. I can't remember exactly the wording, but it was quite uh, it was uh, provocative. Provocative in a sense. Well, uh, provocative in the sense of uh, well, if I tell you what comes <laughs> next, then you'll understand. It was, it was made to prod people into thinking that uh, your baby is going to your child is going to ask you what is the purpose of life. Will you be able to answer? Now, I don't know if children nowadays ask what is the purpose of life much, because from about the age of three, they're given computer games to play with. But otherwise, it's a natural propensity in every human being that uh, from a very young age, when they see the stars at night and the the wind blowing and the rain falling, and they, 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 from a very young age, it's a normal thing that children... They, they ask about everything. Where is the wind coming from? Why is, it, why is it dark at night? What are the stars? They start asking profound questions. And actually in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna succinctly gives uh, answers to all questions of import. So it's actually the duty of every human being to imbibe this knowledge and uh, to be able to pass this on to others. In modern society, people are directionless. Directionless, they have no fixed direction in life, which is uh, another reason we were discussing this morning how uh, there's uh, so many people in modern society are mentally disturbed. And uh, one reason is there may be many reasons for that, but one reason is that people they don't know what they're doing in life, they're, they're, they're direction. In uh, someone just sent me an email of a, something very common among middle aged people in the Western world, who are successful in life. They have jobs that pay a lot of money. But they get to middle age and they wonder, what the hell am I doing? You know, every day I'm signing this paper and pressing something in the computer. What the What's going on? I've got money. I've got, I've got a boat. I've got a, a house in the country. I've got tons of money. But I've got prestige. But what the hell am I doing with my life? It's a common syndrome. It's called uh, so common I can't remember the name. Middle age syndrome. Middle age syndrome, something like that. Yeah. Crisis, middle age crisis. Middle age crisis. Midlife, midlife crisis. That's it. Midlife crisis. Practically, it's the same uh, impulse of, of the young child who asks, "What is this? What is that? What is this?" That is the Paramatma, the Lord within the heart, prodding us to go towards spiritual life, to ask the right question. That's why we see that many people all over the world are very happy to receive Srila Prabhupada's books. One might think that in the the totally materialistic age that we live in, that nobody would be in the slightest bit interested in Srila Prabhupada's books. People people must be interested in things which tell them how to eat, sleep, mate and defend in various uh, interesting, new and different and sophisticated ways. But many people, it's just the opposite. Maybe because the age is so materialistic that many people are very happy to receive Prabhupada's books because they're fed up. People realize that there's something seriously wrong with the whole direction or lack of it in human society all over the world. There are various conspiracy theories that certain people have, you know, they're getting together and they're they're all sitting together and quietly conspiring to uh, 
control the world without any of us knowing about it. There are also cosmic conspiracy theories that there are uh, unknown people from unknown planets who are who are conspiring to control the earth or invade the earth. Personally, I'm not very much convinced by any of these conspiracy theories. You can't prove them wrong, and therefore you can't categorically say that they're, they're not true, but at the same time, uh, and like I say, I'm not personally very much impressed by them. But it does show that uh, people realize that in, in whatever goofy way, in various goofy ways, that there's something seriously wrong with the world. Goofy means uh, funky, stupid, or, you know, kind of really bizarre. Bizarre is a synonym for goofy. So many people, uh, they're actually very pleased to receive Srila Prabhupada's books because they can realize that there's, there's, uh, these are not books about eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. There's something completely different. And they can realize that the persons distributing the books are uh, not are persons who seem to have gone beyond the general materialistic, directionless struggle that everybody else in the world is engaged in. Um, well, in some of the editions of Bhagavad there's a very interesting uh, endorsement from Thomas Merton, who was a kind of uh, trans- transcendental Christian theologian who gave a, he, he died in the 1970s, maybe late 60s or something. But he was, a, he was a highly respected transcendentalist of sorts within the Catholic tradition, I think it was. He gave, yeah, like, you know, they have, they have people who give their uh, reviews. So I'll paraphrase it because, you know, I don't have a photographic memory. So he said that if truth is what works, as someone and the pragmatist, I think it was, insist, then there must be truth in Bhagavad Gita as it is. Uh, Shall I finish the whole thing? It might be easier for you. No? Okay. Because those who follow its teachings emanate a... a a uh, peacefulness and a sense of satisfaction which is uh, conspicuously absent in the average modern man. So actually it's a fact that the knowledge in these books is liberating. Um, liberating? Liberating, yeah. It liberates one from uh, birth, death, old age and disease. It liberates one from the grinding existence of modern life. Now you may say, well, if I buy this Bhagavad Gita, I still I have to go to work and provide for my family. You know, by buying this Bhagavad Gita, am I going to win the lottery? Then I can buy a big yacht and go on and just spend my life sailing around in the Black Sea. Well, the answer is obviously uh, no. But the person who has enough money to go just uh, holidaying all his life on the Black Sea, he's also not liberated. And a factory worker who uh, who's in Krishna consciousness is actually liberated. It's a matter of consciousness. Just like Arjuna, he was told, he was told, you act now, and you, you consider what to do, then you act. Act as you like. Now, had Arjuna fought without hearing Bhagavad Gita, then he would have fought as a conditioned soul. Of course, Arjuna is an eternal associate of Krishna, but we're talking theoretically here, because theoretically Arjuna was bewildered and therefore Krishna had to speak Bhagavad Gita. Now if, if Arjuna was simply fighting as a duty to support his brother in the, in the battle because his brother, his rightiest claim was to uh, attain the throne, 
then that would have been mundane. It wouldn't have, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be mundane. And even if Arjuna had left the fight because and, and not fought because he thought, well, uh, the fighting isn't very good in this circumstance, that would have also been mundane. But his decision to fight after receiving knowledge from Krishna was completely transcendental. Now, Arjuna, by fighting, he acted on a liberated platform. Duryodhana was also fighting, Karna was also fighting, Shakuni was also fighting. They were doing the same thing as Arjuna, and they followed the same rules of battle that Arjuna did. But Duryodhana, Shakuni, and uh, all of that crowd, they were on the mundane platform. Their consciousness was mundane, whereas every arrow Arjuna shot, he shot out of uh, transcendental love for Krishna. He was on the transcendental platform. So it's a matter of consciousness. Arjuna was acting, he acted as he did because he knew that Krishna wanted him to act in that way. Personally, uh, Arjuna didn't want to fight. But when he understood that Krishna wanted him to fight and that Arjuna, he should act according to what Krishna wanted and not what he wanted, Therefore, Arjuna agreed to fight. Now Krishna is saying to Arjuna, you act according to your ichcha, according to your desire. But Arjuna has understood that he should act, Arjuna should act according to Krishna's desire. But Krishna at the same time, he did. at the same time while establishing that Arjuna should act according to Krishna's desire, he still gives Arjuna the choice whether or not to act according to Krishna's desire. So ultimately, everyone has to choose to serve Krishna, or uh, to act in a way that is pleasing to Krishna, or not to do so. Krishna gives everyone the choice to act, but, though, but he gives everyone the opportunity to uh, take the knowledge by which they can learn to act in a way that will be beneficial for themselves and others and will actually make them happy. So this may all sound very theoretical. And not just the Bhagavad Gita, there it sounds like very, you know, very esoteric and theoretical. But in Arjuna's mind, there was no, he never considered it theoretical because he had the very, the, the uh, stark reality ahead of him of choosing whether to fight or not. Whichever way he chose, it was, it was going to be a, a Momentous, monumental decision. If he chose to fight, it meant that he'd have thousands of arrows uh, being discharged against him constantly. It's easy to talk about that sitting here, but I mean, in reality, it's uh, it's an extremely intense situation. Where the alternative was for him to not fight, and then he would have had thousands of insults piled on him constantly for being a coward. Neglecting his duty. So it was uh, either way. There was uh, there was a very intense situation for Arjuna, and it's actually true for every one of us. We can choose to act in a way which will very soon bring us into a situation where we are uh, living in intense bliss, in this in, in permanent association with Krishna. On the other hand, if we don't do what Krishna says, then we have to enter the intense situation of Punarapi jananam, punarapi maranam, punarapi janani jakhare shayanam. It's no joke. Do you know that? It means again and again getting born, again and again dying, again and again entering a mother's womb. This is the reality of material life. Material life is pretty rough. And then the summer comes. 
and everything is very nice and everything seems very nice and it's, we, we may forget how miserable material life is due to the maya of a summer's day. So life is intense. We all have to choose. We have to choose to go to the situation of intense bliss in service of Krishna or to go on with the intense suffering of material life. Hare Krishna. Well, it's really tough when everyone's in a sleepy mood. Has anyone ever been in India in the summer, in the Vrindavan area, for instance? I mean, it's a lot hotter than here. It's, you know, you, you can't, you can't, you might think it's so hot you just go to sleep, but it's too hot even to sleep. Even at night you can't sleep because it's too hot. So there's a very nice festival, the uh, Jal Vihar, they have for the deity. I, I was in Nathwara once, which is extremely hot, the place of Sri Nathji. So Jaldiha means water pasta. So there's a whole big room, about maybe a little smaller than this tent. And they have this small, small deity there, not, not the whole big Nathji, but the smaller deity. And there's, there's rose water being sprayed everywhere, all over the deity, all over everyone. So everyone who goes in becomes completely wet immediately. So it's very pleasant uh, when uh, outside it's uh, extremely hot. Syringes also. You can spray the Lord and spray others with rose water or colored water. Just, you know, like they have this for spraying flowers. That's also commonly used in Iskon. It used to be in the days when we used to worry about when people fell asleep chanting Japa. You used to have these uh, sprays that you spray somebody. <laughs> I was just thinking we needed a few sprays here to uh, wake everyone up. Hare Krishna! Alright, you had a question from the morning class? You were asking, there was some question in the morning class, you were going to ask something about Ashvatthama becomes the next Vyasadi, something like that. What was the question? Yeah. In uh, not in the next life, he's still alive. What's the description of in the Mahabharata of Ashvatthama being killed? He didn't die. He's still alive. He's one of these seven Chiranjivis. He's going to be the next Vyasa, or one of the upcoming Vyasas. When he had such, uh, he was in such bad consciousness. Okay, can you translate that? So this is the question. Yeah, how, when he was in such bad consciousness, how could he be... Uh, Predicted by Vyasadev in the Bhagavatam to become the next Vyasa or one of the next Vyasa. Yes, and as we say, all this devotee is not in very good consciousness. So well, we we may say among ourselves that such and such is not not in very good consciousness. But uh, it's, it's unlikely that he's going to be in as bad consciousness as Ashvatthama. What? With Ashvatthama, he uh, killed thousands of sleeping soldiers. Nevertheless, uh, he is described by the Asadarib in the Srimad Bhagavatam to be, and in future, he will, Ashvatam will become the So he will he, take the role of the Asadarib. In, 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 in future. Not exactly in his next life because he didn't, he doesn't die, he's still alive. He's one of the seven Chiranjivis. There are seven persons described in the uh, Puranic history who are still alive. 
I don't know if I can remember them all. I can say some of them. Well, there's uh, Ashvatama, Parashuram, Jasya, Vibhishana, Hanuman. There's five. Any other suggestions? Jambavan, see one of them? Maybe, I don't know. I can't remember. I don't have a long-lasting memory. You want to speak of a long-lasting life. Well, Jambavan lived a long life, that's for sure, because he was there in Ramlila and in Krishnalila. He wasn't the only one. Well, I can't remember just now. Any other suggestions? Who the, who the other two are? Did I mention six? And there's one missing. Anyway, uh, how is it possible that someone of such bad consciousness uh, could become Vyasadeva in future? Well, why not? Anyone can become purified. I don't know what millions of sinful activities I've committed in this life and in previous lives. You know. Somehow, by the mercy of Srila Prabhupada, I'm making at least a show of chanting Hare Krishna. The, uh, whatever sinful activities one may perform, Whatever it may be, it is not a permanent blot on the soul. It doesn't matter how sinful one has been in the past, one can become the greatest saint. One can become purified. That's the whole basis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sankirtan movement, this understanding. As it is said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Ashvatara had said he's uh, wandering the earth incognito. And he's, uh, especially he's in Vrindavan and he's allowed to enter there and he's being purified by the contact with Vrindavan Dham. But he, he has no friends, no, no social life. He's, he's like an outcast from human society. But as a result of, of contact with Vrindavan and suffering, and suffering in that way, then he will eventually come to the status of Vyasa, says Vyasa. Okay, uh, which person has kept him?